Hello, and welcome to Cover to Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing Blade Runner. Blade Runner, or what the book is actually titled, uh, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, was written by Philip K. Dick and was published in 1968. And the film adaptation was directed by Ridley Scott and came out in 1982. For the sake of simplicity we're going to refer to this episode as blade runner yeah instead of it's um much longer and much worse title of yeah do androids dream of electric sheep (laughs) and if you're wondering if there are electric sheep in the book there are there are (laughs) don't you won't be disappointed lots of electric animals yeah uh but yeah we kind of like We haven't really run into this too much. Yeah. But I think when the two titles are totally different, we just kind of go with the one that's either simpler or the more common one. Yeah. Which in this case happened to be the same. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Also, let's talk a little bit briefly right now at this moment (laughs) about (laughs) the clusterfuck of variations to this movie oh yeah we need to get this out of the way now Mm -hmm. so when we're talking about this movie we will be referring to the final cut Mm -hmm. of blade runner uh not the theatrical cut not the international cut no not the only shown once in theaters la preview cut yep or even the director's cut, which nope. surprisingly did not involve as much directorial <laughs> input as you would imagine. As you would suspect <laughs> by the name of it. <laughs> no, we're talking about the final cut. Yeah. Until now, <laughs> or up until this point. I'm sure there will be a finaler cut yeah. later. But um, It's interesting because like the international version had more violence in it. Mm-hmm. And so those parts were cut um, from the U.S. theatrical version. And then the U.S. theatrical version also, for some reason, was like, this movie is confusing. For some reason, they were like, this movie is confusing. Yeah. They were like, let's um, get Harrison Ford back. To do terrible voiceovers. (laughs) To give us an awful voiceover to just kind of be explaining what's already happening on the screen and also give us totally unnecessary input, including the N-word at one point. Yeah, yeah. And like, it's very... um, old school like noir yeah detective like and then that dame walked in i knew she was <laughs> trouble right from the start basically style yeah stylistically a and apparently ridley scott at one point was open to the idea of a voiceover but he wanted yeah. it to be more of his internal thoughts about things going on not just kind of like expositional yeah narration uh but let's actually include a clip right now of Harrison Ford's The quality terrible. of Harrison Ford's voiceover. I'd quit because I'd had a belly full of killing. But then I'd rather be a killer than a victim. And that's exactly what Bryant's threat about little people meant. So I hooked in once more thinking that if I couldn't take it, I'd split later. I didn't have to worry about Gaff. He was brown nosing for a promotion, so he didn't want me back anyway. Yeah, so he yeah. he really just apparently um, after principal photography was done, the producers like wrestled away um, control of the film yeah. from Ridley Scott mm-hmm. and then insisted there be a voiceover. And Harrison Ford was like obligated contractually to do that. Yeah. So he just phoned in 
he I, he literally has said like it was the worst he could possibly make it <laughs> for the sake of like hoping they wouldn't use it. And yeah, then like this is perfect. This is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you're re- like you really don't care. Like you're truly apathetic about everything going on. Just like your character. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the U.S. theatrical version also had a added extra scene at the end of the movie which we'll discuss a little bit once we get to like the actual end of the episode but the the version that it should be considered more canon i guess is the final cut um it's the authorized version from the director ridley scott yeah it took us like 30 years to get it yeah (laughs) or however long it was uh until they released the final cut but yeah, so they re-included the violence, they got rid of the terrible voiceover, yeah. and uh, adjusted the ending, mm-hmm. basically eliminating the weird ending that we'll discuss. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what we'll, we'll be referring to. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Blade Runner, or do androids dream of electric sheep? Yes. Well, let's, um, these are two stories that intersect at points. Yeah. And then completely diverge in total opposite directions at others. Yes, exactly. So um, do you, let's talk a little bit about the few elements that are the same. So um, the same, the things that they share in common is that this takes place in a dystopian future. Mm-hmm. Um, the date kind of differs depending what version of the book you're reading and if you're watching the movie. But it's sometime in the future. Um, and society has begun to colonize other planets in both yeah. of them. Um, it's a kind of more of an element in the book, uh, going off world and living in the colonies, yeah. but basically, um, androids, um, Andy's referred to in the book or replicants as they're referred to in the movie were kind of created to help colonize other planets. Yeah. Their roles are kind of different in both versions. Yeah. In the book, they're kind of described more as servants yeah. to people. In fact, they tell you, oh, if you ca- if you go off world, if you emigrate off world, uh, we'll give you a robot. We'll yeah. give you an android to mm-hmm. kind of be your servant, which is a weird incentive Incentive to go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but because they really wanted people to just get off Earth, I guess. Cause yeah. Basically, at this point, it's almost in- uninhabitable. Uh, there's kind of like the fallout of some unknown nuclear war because it's, you know... Yeah, it's a post-apocalyptic. A, it's a post-dystopian yeah. book written in, like, the... What? what, what, what? 68. 68, yeah. yeah. So it's got those elements to it. But, yeah, so dystopian future. Mm-hmm. And our story stars uh, Rick Deckard. Yep. Uh, who is a bounty hunter assigned to capture and, quote-unquote, retire androids that have escaped the colonies and come to earth yes um and he's known as a blade runner in the movie blade runner in the book that he's just a bounty hunter yeah they just call him a, a bounty hunter <laughs> yeah he doesn't get a cool he doesn't get a cool a name cool badass yeah title <laughs> um in the book though um it's definitely more of like the earth has kind of crumbled yeah. In the movie, it kind of still seems like there's a healthy population inhabiting yeah, the Earth. It doesn't seem like it you just, see tons of it just people seems everywhere. Gross and overcrowded. Yeah. In the book, in the movie, less like wasteland kind of. Yeah. In the your book, ge- it, it your feels genitals like, are going to be irradiated. Yeah. It feels like everything has been abandoned. Like there's empty buildings everywhere. Mm-hmm. Nobody's on Earth anymore. And because of the radiation, um, you're kind of at risk to become a. Uh, 
radiationized and you, you'll turn into something known as a special, basically, basically meaning that you turn um, into a stupid person. Yeah, you become uh, mentally handicapped or like physically. Or yeah. There's kind of like a variety you of mutated things. in yeah. a way. Yeah. And essentially, once you get to a point of becoming classified as a special, you're, you can't uh, emigrate off world anymore. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, we kind of learn a little bit more about in the story. But mm-hmm. uh, those are pretty much that's pretty much their key plot points. Yeah. That kind of go between both book and movie. Mm-hmm. But roughly those are the the key pieces of both. Yeah. And Rick gets a job where he has to find and retire slash kill some androids that have escaped and have come to Earth. Yeah. The book, however immediately throws us some weird it throws us in the middle of this oh it's a sci-fi like futuristic you know like dr seuss level bizarreness yeah uh could you read adina yes with your lovely lovely voice (laughs) the first few sentences just these are the first few sentences this is just the first paragraph that you ever read in this book A merry little surge of electricity piped by automatic alarm from the mood organ beside his bed awakened Rick Deckard. Surprised, it always surprised him to find himself awake without prior notice. He rose from the bed, stood up in his multicolored pajamas, and stretched. Now, in her bed, his wife Iran opened her gray, unmerry eyes, blinked, and then groaned and shut her eyes again. <laughs> that tells you everything you need to know about this book. Uh, as soon so. The beginning of this book, I hated it immediately. Like, yeah. I was, like, not about this at all. Especially it's just, like, his multicolored yeah, pajamas. what the hell? Why? <laughs> it's just, people have to know this is the future where people the weird just future. We- wear weird outfits, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. But, uh, yeah, so the whole beginning of this story revolves around him, his wife. And the mood organ. And the mood organ. And it's... Very, it's almost like satirical in a weird way of like this future where they're arguing about because so essentially like you can dial in different numbers into the mood organ and it literally gives you that mood. Yeah. And so it's like, oh, I want to be happy, but like very specific emotions. Yeah. And so they get in this argument where she's grumpy and he's like, why don't you dial in a 383, a a need to be uh, wistful and happy and I don't want that. And Mm. like I dialed in a, a 282 like total depression and anger. Existential despair. <laughs> and then he's like, well, why don't you dial in a number three? And she's like, what's that? He's like, it gives you the mood it, the mood to dial in a 383. And yeah. It, just like, what is going on? They go on? on about it for so long. And then this isn't really brought up again throughout no. the rest of the book. So it's really confusing because it sets up this whole like elaborate system, this elaborate society, and then they don't really come back to this mood organ no. thing. <laughs> Not to mention... We both had the exact same connection in our heads reading this and connected it to Fahrenheit 451 yeah. like immediately. Yeah, which we did an episode on a few months back. Yeah. So it starts off with like a grumpy married couple and yeah. their weird sci-fi house and like their <laughs> weird sci-fi problems. Yeah. And honestly, the wife I ran in uh, this book is exactly like the wife in Fahrenheit 451. At the beginning, for yeah. sure. Yeah. She actually gets a lot, not a lot better, but like... A little better. Yeah, not as like infuriating as she is in the beginning. Yeah. The wife in Fahrenheit 451 is just the worst throughout. Yeah. Uh, but they're like, yeah, in the, in this first chapter, they're like identical characters. Yeah. So, um, 
you know. <laughs> <laughs> There's that. I'm kind of, at this point, depleted of dystopian novels written from this time period. I know. Yeah. They by, do. By ha- white guys. They have a specific flavor. And more than just this moment, but this book did kind of remind me of Fahrenheit 451 in other yeah. ways. Yeah. Just kind of in the general world building, mm-hmm. in the length of the novel, and kind of roughly the things that are happening a little bit. Yeah. Uh, just kind of, yeah, the mood and feeling of Fahrenheit 451 for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, from there... Rick leaves his wife and his mood organ behind <laughs> uh, and goes to his job. Yeah. And then this is where he finds out about the assignment that he needs to uh, retire these androids. And um, then the book and movie kind of follow the same path where Rick ends up going to this corporation that makes robots. Yeah. And he needs to go there and give... Um, a robot there like a test and they have this whole test that proves whether or not you're a robot the voight kampf test yeah is that yeah mm-hmm. uh, essentially giving someone a series of questions engaging their emotional response yeah which is interesting in a way uh but kind of also boring it is boring in the book they kind of explain it because in the book there's all this radiation and life has died and most of the animals are dead. Yeah. So animals are like really prized and it's a status symbol to mm-hmm. own an animal. And so that's the whole thing about electric sheep. Like Rick used to have a sheep, but it died. And so now he has an electric one to like keep up appearances, but it's kind of driving him crazy because he feels like he has no worth unless he has an animal. Yeah, this is a big kind of not theme in the book, but aspect this kind of uh consumerism and being kind of tied to it and like its connection to social status you know you need you need to have a real animal if you're gonna be a person yeah uh but you can't have an electric animal, but it's just going to eat you alive inside like emotionally (laughs) yeah you're just gonna know that you're a fake yeah exactly so uh rick's motivation throughout this story is he wants to get a real animal because all he has is his Dumb electric sheep. Yeah, and he gets money from killing androids, so he can, like, put a down payment on, like, a horse or something. A whole horse. <laughs> an ostrich. He's, like, eyeing up an ostrich for, ostrich for a while. <laughs> yeah, and, and people just have them on their roofs. And yeah. It's a very... Strange system. It's very odd. But the whole, like, Voight comp test is built around... Most of the questions are based on animal cruelty. Yeah. And so, because it's like not appropriate anymore for anyone even to kill like a fly because life is so precious. Yeah. So the questions are kind of like, someone gives you a calfskin wallet for your birthday. What do you do? And they're like, I call the cops on them. (laughs) Yeah. Or like you find a boy has been like secretly killing insects. Like, what do you do? Um, and it makes sense in the book, but when they talk about it in the movie, they do the same questions from the book, Yeah. but like they haven't established in the movie that there's anything going on with animals at all. No, that aspect to the movie is only vaguely alluded to. There's a scene where Rick is talking to a woman who has a snake Yeah. and he asks if it's real and she just says like, if I could afford a real snake, I wouldn't be a stripper or whatever yeah. it is she and is. And then the owl, the fake owl. Yeah, the fake owl. But they don't ever say that, like, you're supposed to not 
like you're supposed to hold life sacred. And then there's so many other scenes where Rachel is wearing like a ton of fur coats. And I'm like, <laughs> this would be on the Voight comp test. That's like true. it would be a question be like, someone gives you a sexy fur coat. What do you do? Mm-hmm. And then she'd be like, I would burn it <laughs> or I'd wear it a lot. I'd wear it. Yeah, she's got a lot of like very extravagant, beautiful coats. Yeah. The whole Blade Runner series is just full of great coats. coats. Yeah, a lot of great jackets. Uh, uh, Roy has a good, cool, high-collared, like, kind of trench coat jacket yeah. in the movie. Yeah, so, you know, allusions to the animal component in, to, in the movie. But the movie also doesn't have the religious element to it. Yeah. Which is kind of in the book part of the drive, in a way. So they they we won't get into it too much right now but like they follow mercerism yeah and is kind of their weird future religion it's like almost like a virtual reality thing like yeah. you hold you hold on to these handles but like you almost physically join with this figure who's just like w- walking up this hill and eventually gets killed and then like he has sort of like a resurrection cycle yeah, he's just continuously walking up this hill, being persecuted until he gets to the top, dies, goes back down to the again and walks back up. <laughs> yeah. And like everyone around the world can like join. And it's sort of like a collective experience. Yeah. And they don't really know where this Mercer guy is like or what he or is. what he is. I don't know what they think this whole thing is, but <laughs> the the idea being he's some kind of like entity greater than all of them and it's like a spiritual experience to join with him and then also join with like other people's consciousness yeah but that's kind of become the ethical uh foundation for their society they refer to mercerism yeah and that's kind of how they justify a lot of their actions so the the whole animal thing also hinges on that Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways you know taking care of animals like follows mercerism and blah 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 so a bunch of other stuff so yeah animals and weird Religion religions is huge in the book is huge in the book and completely gone in the movie at least for mercerism yeah with only allusions to the the animal thing mm-hmm. uh the movie what a good looking movie yes <laughs> it has such a cool vibe and amazing aesthetic and of course it's been highly influential 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 <laughs> influential <laughs> um ever since it came out you know it and i can see why i think it still holds up like the visual effects are yeah. gorgeous and are still impressive to this day mm-hmm. it's it really helped uh push and create the cyberpunk genre yeah which involves a lot of kind of um high technology but low quality of life yeah as well as a lot of times people either being androids or fusing themselves with machinery yeah those are kind of two key elements to cyberpunk Mm -hmm. and blade runner does both of those but just the atmosphere is so cool it's always raining always raining it's very influenced by noir detective yeah film so very moody lighting rainy and dreary mm-hmm. just kind of a, a overall sense of dread yeah and depression yeah uh another but another interesting element of cyberpunk is it's kind of uh fusion of like asian culture with american yeah and i hadn't really heard this criticism of it until like over the past year or so but people are like you know cyberpunk films 
draw a lot of visuals and stuff from Asian culture. Yeah. But never have Asian characters. No. Or at least not main characters. And like in the movie Blade Runner, it's almost like the city that he's in. He says it's L.A. Yeah. But it's like a fusion of L.A. and Tokyo. Yeah. Like there's open air markets with, you know, um, Chinese sellers. And there's just tons of people everywhere. It's very multicultural. Um, Billboards are featuring like Asian women. Mm -hmm. um, But there are no Asian main characters and all of the like weird side characters that are very like stereotypical are all Asian. So that's a little unfortunate. (laughs) It is. I I mean, you know, this was 1982. Yeah. Um, but still it's, I think it's interesting that this criticism hasn't really been brought up until kind of just recently. Yeah. I think around the time the Ghost in the Shell remake especially was coming out and they cast Scarlett Johansson as an Asian character. (laughs) So, uh, that is kind of a criticism of the genre in this movie to an extent, which I think is is valid for sure. Yeah. But I like the idea of like such a multicultural. I do too. Like urban kind of gritty city. Mm-hmm. And it fits. Yeah. The, and this movie is also very groundbreaking. Uh, I shouldn't say groundbreaking. It, it wasn't necessary. It was in the genre way. Yeah. But on top of that, just the quality and attention to detail throughout the movie is very, very impressive in terms of, you know, actors talked about like they're on set in these streets yeah, and there's so many tiny details on like the parking meters Mm -hmm. that say like, oh, it's like $3 for like five minutes or something like, you know, inflated prices or like the bus says like, you know, a bus driver not carrying money armed with laser gun, that kind of stuff, like all these tiny details that they were just like, put you in that world yeah and uh on top of that a lot of like the structures and stuff were miniatures so a lot of the buildings and things in the movie are all miniature sets and it's just high production value and also kind of made i guess the filming of it a a nightmare yeah i'm sure yeah but it's very impressive to watch beautiful to look at Mm -hmm. so that's kind of one of the biggest elements of the movie. I think definitely worth talking about. It's just this visual aspect it brings to it. Yeah. Uh, but so in the movie, Rick Deckard is also has to go give the Voigtkampf test to someone at mm-hmm. it's called Tyrell Industries in the movie. What's it in the book? Rosen Corporation. Rosen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, what should we call it? Should we be consistent? Tyrell. Tyrell. Okay. Mm-hmm. We'll try to call it Tyrell consistently. <laughs> But they make um, the Nexus 6, which is the latest model of Android. Um, And so Rick Deckard has to go and give a test. And they kind of set him up in a weird way. Like they're like, oh, this is Rachel. She's our daughter or something. Like she's connected to the company. And they're like, give her the test. But they never tell him if she's an Android or not. Um, And in the book, it's very confusing because they kind of like try to trick him. This is the, yeah, this was the first part of the book that established that this is going to be really that confusing. This book's not going to make any fucking sense. Yeah. Uh, essentially, he gives the test to Rachel and discovers she is an android. Yeah, he gives the test and he's like, she's an android based on the test. Yeah. And they're like, no, she's a human. Your test has failed. Yeah, you fucked up. Like, yeah. And they're like, it's because she grew up on a space shuttle and just recently came back to Earth, so she yeah. doesn't have empathy for animals. I don't know. It was it's really dumb. weird. Uh, and then, but then he realizes, no, she 
is a robot because he gives her one last question and catches them. But it was weird because they tried to blackmail him with that info. Yeah. But they still were okay with him hunting the androids. So like I was reading this. I'm like, I don't get what they're trying to do. Their motivation. Yeah. What are their motivations? What are his motivations exactly? Yeah. It, It was all very like the power Dynamic was dynamic and struggle for this whole thing was like bizarre. Yeah. In the movie, they were just like, yeah, Rachel, she's 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 a fucking robot. (laughs) (laughs) And they imply that she didn't know that she was an android. Yeah. She thought she was a person because they implanted fake memories. Mm -hmm. Am I the only one out out of the two of us? Yeah. Was I the only one who I was kind of confused at points uh, about how real replicants are yeah because and and actually this kind of goes back to when we saw blade runner 2049 yeah there's a part where they're examining a body and super zooming in on the bones and they're like oh there's a serial number she was a, a replicant and i was yeah. like oh is that the only way to tell like <laughs> yeah i'm like they're that human and yeah and i feel like this movie's also kind of vague about that you know like i, I wasn't you know if you cut one open are they like gears and wires yeah. or are they basically just human well in the book they say that they need a bone marrow sample yeah so i don't know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> yeah the book's a little more and i mean i guess you kind of find out in the movie too that they're also very human-like but yeah. I, I wish they just kind of very quickly established established that, that. Yeah. yeah like these are essentially human beings yeah that just have a serial number on them yeah <laughs> So I, I was just wondering if you were. No, it, it's confusing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so after this weird test, uh, Deckard leaves Tyrell Corp and is on the hunt for androids. And yep. spoiler alert, he finds some. He does. In the book, he has to kill six androids. Yeah. In the movie, it's just four. He's just on a murder spree in the book. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, this is brought up in both the book and the movie. It's like. Have you ever killed a human on accident? Like, <laughs> yeah, and he's like, eh, probably not. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny because in the in the book, he has to give them the Voigtkampf test. Yeah, to confirm they are absolutely a replicant, and then kill them, and then kill them, and then shoot them in the head. <laughs> uh, in the it, it makes more sense though because in the movie they're like. Well, yeah, these are them. Like, we have their the photos. Pictures, yeah. yeah. If you see this person, just shoot them. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> you don't just have kill to, like, them. Like, you're just going like, to sit them down. Yeah, and be you're like, like, okay, I'm going to kill you. But first, can you sit down and take this test? Like, don't try anything funny. Please get out your number two pencil. <laughs> <laughs> Fill in the bubbles. The answer, answers will determine whether <laughs> I kill you or not. But I got to run it through the machine first that reads it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's he kind of talks in the book about like a lot of the androids when they're discovered are kind of submissive. They yeah. kind of just like give up, give up and agree to do it. But every once in a while, they just go ape shit and, you know, try to kill you. Yeah. Yeah. So try to not get themselves killed. <laughs> <laughs> Precisely. Yeah. Uh, but the movie, it's kind of a standard detective noir. He's finding clues. He's going to apartments, finding mm-hmm. photos. <laughs> There's a part where oh my god he puts the, the photo, photo machine yeah he puts the photo in like a computer essentially yeah and then if you ever needed an example of why voice 
commands for computers are stupid. <laughs> he's just looking at it, and then he's like, zoom in between section 281 and 498. Yeah. 200%. And then... <laughs> it zooms in. <laughs> and then he's just like, move over 28 pan, pixels. Pan left, then right. <laughs> and then he's like, zoom back. Zoom into section. It's, it's that for like five yeah, minutes. Yeah. Also... I wish that we had that technology <laughs> to like zoom in that much. Oh yeah. The, the, the irony, not the voice technology. No. <laughs> the irony is he just found like a standard Polaroid picture yeah. and then could magnify 5,000 times on it and still get detail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like even more ridiculous than like in, uh, uh, CSI shows when they're like, Oh, enhance that image. Enhance. Yeah. Enhance. Enhance again. <laughs> it's like even more ridiculous. Like there's literally just. It's it, just there's, gray. There's there. We can't make the ink that small. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that part was fun. Yeah. Good. Good. But essentially it's just him collecting clues. Yeah. In the book, he goes on this journey uh, of killing all these robots and then, so he kills the first one, and then he's on his way to kill the second one, and she's an opera singer. Yeah. And she calls the police on him. Yeah. And is like, I'm not a robot. This guy is, like, assaulting me. And the police come, and he's like, it's fine. I'm a bounty hunter. Like, whatever. And they're like, no, you're not. Yeah. He's like, let me call my sergeant. And they're yeah. like, that building hasn't been occupied in 50 years. Yeah. And then you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. And so he's being hauled in and he's taken to a police department he's never seen before. Yeah. And in my head, I'm like, oh, I'm like, Rick must be an android that someone programmed to just be an assassin, to be an assassin. Like he thinks he's a Blade Runner killing androids, but he's an android killing humans. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, what? I was like. Super pumped about this crazy twist. That's not what happened. No, it's not at all. <laughs> That's what clearly what Philip K. Dick was trying to convince you of and have yeah. Rick be convinced of in this scene. Like he's questioning his own sanity. And because when he gets there, he sits down with this police sergeant Garland mm -hmm. and Garland is like, is that his name? Yeah. Like, like Garland. Gar okay. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as I said, I'm like, like, this can't be right. <laughs> but Garland is like, yeah, I'm listed as the next person you're supposed to kill. Do you think I'm an Android? Yeah. And then Drake's just like, oh my God, yeah, what is like, even happening? My mind is blown. Um, but then they bring in another bounty hunter who's kind of on Rick's side a little bit. Yeah. He's like, you know what? Garland might be an android. Like, he says it to Garland's yeah. face. He's like, you might be a fucking android. Uh, and He's like, I've been wanting to kill you for months. <laughs> but you won't take this goddamn test. Yeah. <laughs> Look at my flashing light. <laughs> Would you kill a dog? Uh, and then the twist is that Garland is an android. Yeah. And this police department was like... It's like a shadow corporation. <laughs> yeah. And that... It's one of these it's things. It's very confusing. I don't I was even know. So confused. Because then Resh is the other bounty hunter. Yeah. And they end up killing Garland and leaving to go kill the other android that Rick originally wanted to kill, the yeah. opera singer. And they're like, she must have been in league with him mm -hmm. somehow. But then Resh is like, well, what if I'm a bounty hunter? Because I was working for them this whole time and I have memories of being there for like three years. But these androids only came to Earth like. 
a month ago or something. Yeah. So clearly his like memories aren't right. Yeah. Because he's like, I remember being here three years working with Garland, but the androids you're hunting have only been here a month. Yeah. And then so you're like, yeah, he's an android, obviously. Yeah. And then they test him and he's not. Resh is not an android. And they never discuss like what the fuck was going on in that shadow police government. Yeah. And also, how could it operate for so long in the same city and they never cross paths? Well, and they imply that like it's full of androids. Yeah, they say it's infested with androids. But. <laughs> but they never talk about it again. They're like, let's just leave them. Also, though. how does an android just land on the planet? And they're like, and they're I'm like, going to start a police corporation. Yeah, I want to be a policeman. And like, <laughs> they just start a police department and then. Then hire real people uh, yeah. to work for them. Then hire real bounty hunters who yeah. are looking for. Why would you hire a real bounty hunter? I I like the paranoia aspect that is being created yeah. of like who's an android, who isn't. Even the idea of him questioning his own sanity yeah. and then being proven right, yeah. I'm okay with in theory. Yeah. But just like Philip K. Dick does not bother to justify, justify any of it. And it doesn't feel like because Rick never goes back and questions that mentally. No. It's not like, what's going on? Why would Resh have false memories if he's a human? Yeah. How does this organization exist? He's just like, okay, Resh is a human. Let's move on. Yeah. So it really just feels lazy. Yeah. It might have been, it might have been intentional to create confusion. Uh, but if it was, it was a poor job. And it's frustrating as a reader yeah. to read something like this and just be like, I honestly had no idea where this was going and I still have no idea why this was happened at all. And um, I like that Resh is sort of like a foil to Deckard because Resh is sort of um, really eager to do his job, doesn't care about killing androids, and Deckard is starting to feel bad about killing them. So it's sort of like a contrast. Like he yeah. he wants Resh to be an android, so then that can be like, Oh, he's cold and kind of likes to kill and is merciless because he's an android. But really, he's like, oh, no, it's me that I should be like him. But I'm like feeling these feelings yeah. and things like that. <laughs> I'm feeling these damn feelings. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I I like that. I liked Resh's role in that regard. I also liked seeing uh, Resh's character grappling with what if I am an android? Yeah. How am I yeah. going to deal with that? Like, do I off myself? Mm -hmm. which he was planning on doing. So I did like elements of this story, uh, but then it just, you get so caught up in these details about how does any of this work? Yeah, what is the plot fits. line? What's the timeline? Mm -hmm. So it, it sucked because these were parts that I got excited for, but then couldn't really enjoy because I was still questioning like just the confusion of everything yeah. pretty much. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So none of that happens in the movie. No, no. <laughs> this is pure book. Um, and as Rick is kind of tracking down these androids, Rachel kind of confronts him and is asking him if she is an android. And they have this discussion about, and she talks about her memories, and you find out that androids can have fake memories yeah, implanted. Falsified. Yeah, Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh yeah, so this kind of, I like this setup of bringing the characters together in the yeah. movie Blade Runner where she's, her world's rocked because she's an android, mm -hmm. a replicant, and then kind of comes to Deckard 
reasonably so because he's the one who told her and kind of yeah. has experience with her replicants. Mm-hmm. So, you know, <laughs> she Rachel's character, though, unfortunately, is very robotic in a lot of ways. She doesn't have a lot of development. Like she does have the struggle of learning that she is an android. But beyond that, nothing much happens with her. No. And I feel like her struggle of identity is only meant to be a mirror to yeah, Deckard. Like Rick's struggle. Yeah. It's not really about her own role or her own arc at all. It's just merely to be a component of his story and yeah. his coming to terms with things. Mm-hmm. So you know, kind of disappointing that that's all her role in this story stacks up to. Yeah. I guess. But she has a really cool aesthetic, though. She does. <laughs> she looks awesome. Her hair. Yeah. Her jackets. I actually got mad when she took her hair down because I liked her hair up. Yeah. She, <laughs> she it takes gets it down and it's just in this ridiculous 80s perm. Real 80s. <laughs> like, immediately. Yeah. I'm like, you looked so much better in your, like, cool robotic androgynous style I yeah it. i will say despite this movie being 80s for the most part it doesn't feel overly 80s no it doesn't like except the hair that one hair which she has her hair yeah, yeah that one but even the other hair doesn't feel no. overly yeah that's usually something that you know it's a future movie but then all the hairstyles never change from like the decade it was filmed in yeah uh, but harrison ford's hair is pretty standard generic generic mm. but kind of you know normal by today's standards so yeah it holds up in a lot of those regards mm-hmm. uh, even the the car designs and stuff are pretty cool yeah you know they still feel futuristic and um <laughs> I, I i honestly i love that the sequel was titled blade runner 2049 which of course because at this point we're like yeah that that's not going to be the future in 2049 yeah. <laughs> but they're like we're fucking sticking to this timeline like yeah. if this is the year 2020 <laughs> then yeah. this is where we're going by 2049 <laughs> i don't care what you say i love yeah. that aspect of it mm-hmm. um what else um so around this time in the book and in the movie um we get to meet one of the other androids named pris Yes. And she meets another character who in the book is known as uh, Isidore. Yeah. And in the movie is known as Sebastian. Yeah, they're pretty much the same character. Yeah, in ways. They kind of come to him for a place to stay, kind of take advantage of him. Isidore's got a pretty large role. He does. Or a number amount of pages in the book. Mm Mm-hmm. He is what he calls himself as a chicken head. Mm-hmm. Terrible term for someone <laughs> who has been so uh, doused by radiation yeah. that he's like cognitively slower than he used to be. Mm-hmm. But he, he says that, but like he never really acts that way. No, not that you can really tell. He's kind of naive yeah. and a little like insecure and stuff, but like doesn't really make bad choices or anything really. Yeah. I mean, arguable, I guess, but... Um, <laughs> But I have no clue what his role was supposed to be or mattered to in the story. It doesn't really. It doesn't. (laughs) We even get a whole escapade of him going to work. Yeah. And he... He works for an electric animal company. Yeah. And they get a call that an animal is malfunctioning because they, when they malfunction, they look like they're dying to yeah. be like normal. And so then a fake vet <laughs> comes to the house 
and then takes the electric animal away in a fake pet ambulance. Yeah. And then they take it back to their place and then like fix it and bring it back. Uh, but this time it's an actual real animal and the person that called didn't realize it. And yeah. so the it's a cat and the cat dies on the way. And Isidore is sort of like really upset because he didn't know it was a real animal and he didn't know what to do. Yeah. But then like that has nothing to do with anything. <laughs> no, I honestly didn't mind this little side chapter is kind of a, a funny, not funny, but like interesting little. Yeah situation that would happen in this time like wow fake animals are so real now that like people can't even tell yeah so but like at the end of the day why yeah any of it so but Isidore lives in this apartment complex by himself and this is still pretty much pretty much just the book yeah and then he meets Pris who moves into the apartment he kind of tries to befriend her and she ends up confessing like, oh, I'm an I'm an android yeah. who escaped from Mars mm-hmm. and now I'm trying to just lay low and hide out. Yeah. And it's sad because Isidore really wants like a connection with someone. So he tries to befriend her. And yeah. She kind of reluctantly agrees. She's kind of mean to him, but. Yeah. <laughs> so basically uh, movie. Let's talk a little bit about the movie. Movie, um, befriending Sebastian is more of like a strategic move yes. on the part of the androids. Um, all this time, the, the main leader of the androids, Roy, mm-hmm. has been kind of on a mission to find Tyrell. Yeah, of Tyrell Corporation. Like yeah. the genius who's kind of invented the Nexus 6 and everyone else. Yeah. And it's because in the movie, they only have... Excuse me. A four year <laughs> lifespan. It's the same in the book. It is the same in the book, but it's mm-hmm. only like that's only mentioned like at the ver- at, at the tail end. Yeah. In the movie, that's like Roy's whole driving force is that he's like, I want more life. He's like, I'm going to die and I want to live longer. Yeah. Which is why he tries to get in the same room as Tyrell to figure out if that's he's possible. Like, Fix me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So thus uh, Sebastian, the Isidore character of the movie is someone who works at Tyrell Corp. So they purposefully find him mm-hmm. to get into the same room with Tyrell. Yeah. And they send Pris um, to kind of insinuate herself with him. She pretends like she's lost and sad <laughs> and vulnerable girl. And he's like, oh, you can stay with me. Um, and then Roy eventually comes in later. And then they try to convince him to take them to see Tyrell. Which he does. Mm-hmm. They show up. They have this whole... Uh, creator and creation scene between yes. Roy and Tyrell. Mm-hmm. It's very dramatic. It is. And then uh, in one of the scenes, I presume was cut from the Yeah, this US... is the international violence edition. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Roy squeezes Tyrell's head until it like yeah. explodes. Like gouges his eyes out. Too. Yeah. It's nasty. It is. Eyes are like very significant though in the movie. Yeah. There's just a lot of shots of eyes, allusions to eyes. And mm-hmm. so... um. It makes sense that Roy would go for the eyes. Yeah, yeah, he goes for <laughs> it. He's like, this matters to the theme. <laughs> what what upsets me most about this movie, though, is that uh, Sebastian dies off screen. Yeah. 
Like, apparently Roy, after he kills Tyrell, kills Sebastian. And I was like, he was just like a nice guy. He like, was, sure, he yeah, had really creepy humanoid toys. He had really toys. creepy toys. But, like, <laughs> he just liked to make toys and they were his friends. And he liked to play chess. And he opened his house to someone and they kill him. And they just fucking killed him. Yeah. So, yeah, that was a huge bummer. Yeah. Uh, but then they're still holding up in... Uh, Sebastian's creepy, decrepit apartment yeah. building in mm-hmm. the movie. Uh, in the book, essentially, it's just Pris, and then Pris is like, hey, my friends are coming over. <laughs> and then we get Roy and what's the other one's Ermgud? name? Ermgod? Ermgird? Ermgird? Ermgird! She's another <laughs> so now it's Pris Roy and Ermagird. <laughs> and I thought the funniest contrast was like in the movie, Roy is kind of the mastermind. Yeah. Kind of very cunning and threatening and lethal. And then in the book, he's just this dude who shows up and is like, you mind if I crash at your place? And he just like sits down. He's like, yo, East, like, <laughs> like calls him East. Like, he's just kind of this huge douchebag. Yeah, he is. So I just, that made me chuckle that the two characters are, like, so vastly different. Yeah. So in the movie, uh, Rick ends up tracking down two of the androids, kills the first one, and then finds the second one, who is, like, an exotic dancer. Yeah. Shoots her elaborately in the streets. Rick shoots a lot of women (laughs) in this movie. Like, he only murders women. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. uh, Like, violently. Yeah. And and I mean, I think the movie takes that seriously. Like, the scene following him shooting her, he's like buying liquor and is like clearly kind of shaken up by it. Yeah. Uh, So it doesn't do it lightheartedly i guess that's the first one he kills yeah and then he runs into the second one who almost kills him uh-huh but then rachel actually shows up and kills him yeah uh, i actually re- i really liked that scene where he gets confronted by the, yeah. the other replicant and almost dies mm-hmm. but thankfully rachel shows up so yeah uh is it time for the rachel yes um the the rachel deckard love scene let's play let's play a game adina okay it's called (laughs) which is more problematic oh god (laughs) two scenes yes two issues Mm -hmm. uh both very concerning yeah let's start with the book okay here here's the setup yeah deckard He's got two more androids to no, three more androids to kill. Yeah. But he needs Rachel's help because he's tired because yeah. it's all been one day. And he, his boss is like, you have to kill the rest of them today. Yeah. So Rachel offered to help. But he's like, first, meet me at a hotel room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start there. And this is after Resh, the other bounty hunter, told him that if he started feeling things for androids, he should just have sex with them and then kill them. Mm-hmm. The female ones, not the male ones. Of course not. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that open-minded of a society, apparently, in the future. No, this is a uh, a future from the 70s yeah. or late 60s. So, you know, we got to keep that in mind. Keep it hetero. <laughs> <laughs> Totes hetero. But it's not gay if it's a robot. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Everyone knows that for a fact. <laughs> it's not gay if it's a robot. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so... Rachel shows up. She brings 
liquor. Yeah. And then immediate gets drunk immediately, like yeah. gets super drunk. And then she's like, just have sex with me. And then she takes off all her clothes and lays in bed and is like, mm. Yeah. <laughs> and Deckard and and she's like very drunk though. So yeah. like and Deckard's not. So that's like yeah. problematic. That's like a big problem. Yeah. And on top of that, Deckard in his mind is like I have to have sex with her so I can kill her later, theoretically. Yeah. So, (laughs) he also, also, (laughs) I forgot the other element. Um, She, Rachel's very thin in the story. Like, not much of a bust, no booty. And the reason we know that is because she is very intricately described in the book. Yes. Very detailed. And he, not just, and it's fine, to be flat, you know, flat chested and not have a butt. But he he connects that with looking like a child. Yeah. Looking childlike. Like they say that she looks childish. Yeah. And then he's like, I'm going to bang her. Ew. So that's the book set up. <laughs> Let's go to the movie. Okay. So in the movie, after Rachel saves Rick's life and they go back to his apartment, He's asleep, but then she's playing the piano and then he comes up to her at the piano and they're kind of sharing this moment and he leans in and he like kisses her cheek, kind of nuzzles like her cheek neck area, Yeah, pulls away. (laughs) She she looks so disinterested. She just like looks at him and it just like is sort of just like whatever. Yeah. Clearly does not want this. And then he leans in again to kiss her. She pulls away. Yeah. Literally pulls her face away from him. And then she gets up and goes to leave. And Rick throws himself across the room. She's opening the door. He throws himself in front of the door, slams it shut, blocks the door so she can't leave. And then she tries to keep opening it. And then he literally pushes her like very hard Mm -hmm. into a window, into the blinds of a window. And then tells her, he's like, say, kiss me. Yeah. Like he makes her repeat those words. Yeah. And so he grabs her in the window. Like he's holding her. He's very close to her. He's grabbing her arms, gripping her, has her against a wall, against this window. And is basically like, I want you to tell me that you want me, basically. Like say, kiss me. You say it. And uh, yeah, so that in a nutshell, is a sexual assault. <laughs> yep. So that happens in the movie. And then, and, and of course, all, there's this smooth jazz yes, playing. Yes, I was going to say, that's also another important element is yeah. like the smooth, sexy jazz like, music. This isn't played as a rape scene. It's not. It's definitely um, meant to be like a love, kind of like, oh, she's playing hard to get, but he's not going to let her go yeah. kind of romance, uh, if you can call it that. So... Um, and then, of course, he literally presses his mouth onto hers. I feel like there's nothing more disgusting than someone just pressing their face <laughs> into you when you're just not wanting it. Like, it's so nasty. Like, you're just like, meh. <laughs> <laughs> like the person gets that like small tight mouth like yeah and the other person it. just is m- it's mashing. like trying to feed a baby <laughs> and they just are not opening their mouth <laughs> like no i don't want it it's so gross it and is. then eventually she starts kissing him back and then they bang i guess yeah because she just needed to be like very strongly very violently convinced to have sex with him and now she loves him but now she gets it she yeah. knows uh, 
So which is more problematic? <laughs> uh, God. I don't know. They're both problematic because Rachel cannot consent in either situation. No. Because in one, she's drunk. And in two, she literally has made it very clear that she doesn't want to consent at all yeah. and is physically forced to. So uh, I'm going to say they're equally problematic. Yeah, I don't want to... Um, yeah. Quantify Qu- the severity yeah. of a sexual assault. <laughs> for, for me, it might just be the book just because of the child like descriptions just yeah, kind of add creepy. like another layer to it that is just uh but i agree like you, at a certain point it's like what are we comparing but yeah <laughs> that concludes our classic game which sexual assault was more problematic yes <laughs> uh, tune in next time where we will discuss um uh, how short the skirt was that she was wearing <laughs> <laughs> and are, aren't androids always asking for it oh man <laughs> uh yeah and so in the book if you didn't think this was bad enough uh we get this weird scene where they're going back and rachel informs deckard that she has slept with other bounty hunters. First she tells him that she loves him. That's right. That's right. That's right. And then he tells her that he would marry her if he could, but it's illegal oh. because she's an android. And I'm like, where's this coming from? How do you like each other? Like you don't know each other at all. No, literally you met at the beginning. And then you just banged. And then you just banged. You She showed up and banged. Yeah. Uh, so she's like, yeah, no, I love you too. And they're like, yeah, no, totally. Uh, and then what prompts him to want to kill her? I don't even know. I forget. It's very confusing. But she suddenly flips the script and is basically like, yeah, I just banged you so that uh, you would hopefully not be able to kill any more androids because you would feel bad for them since you had sex with me. Yeah. And then he's like, I know. I'll murder you. (laughs) And then I'll know that I can murder others. But then he can't bring himself to do it. Yeah. And then she's like... Lighting yeah, a I know. Like, this is the purpose. Like, yeah, you thought you could, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and then, I don't know, he just leaves her somewhere. He just drops her off, I guess. It's so weird. And, and this is another timeline thing where... Okay, so... <laughs> at one Let's point, piece this together. At one point, she mentions that she is friends or knows the androids that, that he's, he's hunting. To kill. Yeah. But... Until that morning, she thought she was a human. But she might not have. She might have been pretending. Because if she slept with other bounty hunters, she would have to know that she's a robot, right? Yeah, but I thought it was confirmed that she had not real memories. Maybe I'm wrong on that. I don't know. I don't know either. I'm so confused. But yeah, she talked (laughs) about like sleeping with like nine other bounty hunters in the past. And it's like, okay, but Deckard's situation of meeting her was kind of specific yeah you know like are they just like recruiting bounty hunters from all over to come and like oh test an android at our facility (laughs) and then she'll meet up with you later and bang yeah (laughs) like what is the plot of this scheme of theirs to to pimp out this android yeah in order to make bounty hunters feel bad (laughs) (laughs) uh so once again, just another like plot twist yeah. that was not earned or bothered to even be explained. I mean, I kind of liked the idea that Rachel was like, 
Yeah, I've been manipulating you. Like, I kind of liked that <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Yeah. But it just felt so strange. And you were like, wait, what? Like, mm-hmm. it just throws you. And then you're like, okay. And then you're still like, it's not explained. <laughs> yeah. I'm just thinking of something we're going to mention later that's making me laugh. But uh, yeah, so then Deckard shows up in the book to this apartment complex. And should we just wrap up the book part? Yeah, let's wrap it up. Shows up to the apartment complex, meets Isidore for a hot second. Yeah. Says later, that's the last time we see Isidore. (laughs) (laughs) He just is outside now. Yeah, he lives outside (laughs) He lives outside. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Uh, Yeah, and then Pris shows up. Yep. And she looks exactly like Rachel because they're the same model. And she pretends to be Rachel. And even though... He knows that it's not Rachel. Yeah. And she's wearing different clothes. But Rick is almost killed by Pris. She almost takes him by surprise. Except then Mercer shows up. Yes, Mercer, the godlike deity from the religion that is basically just like a glorified virtual reality actor, hobo man. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. So they only experience Mercer when they like... This makes me laugh because I'm from... A place called Mercer, (laughs) Pennsylvania. So I'm like, when you're in Mercer, (laughs) okay. When you're merged with Mercer. (laughs) (laughs) You know, when you go to Mercer and fuse with every other living entity on the face of the planet. Yes. um, It's only through this like device called an empathy box. Yeah. But then uh, Deckard just hallucinates Mercer. Yeah. And he's like, I've been inside you all along. Also. Turn around. Turn around. (laughs) A woman's going to kill you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so Deckard is like he kills Pris and then Mercer's gone and he's like Mercer is with me thank you Mercer <laughs> I'll carry you with me forever yeah as I murder and, and Mercer was basically he's like Mercer like I've been having a lot of second thoughts about murdering like what are essentially people and Mercer's like don't even sweat it dog he's it's like, fine it's it's wrong but you have to do it yeah he's like okay thanks <laughs> thanks god <laughs> and so then he just goes upstairs and he just shoots the other two <laughs> yeah. he knocks on the door <laughs> and says it's is it's isidore <laughs> and then the androids just open it <laughs> And they're like, say no more. And they're like, oh no. <laughs> and then they're killed. And then they're shot. So um certainly raises the question of the intelligence <laughs> of these of the robots. Yeah. And Deckard was like, I knew these idiots wouldn't know. Would like, it, like wouldn't know that it wasn't me. I'm like, like, isn't the whole premise of this supposed to be like they're so dangerous because they're so smart. Yeah. <laughs> and then he's just like, "Hey, it's Isidore." <laughs> and they're like, "Okay." <laughs> yeah. Uh... And then Deckard is like, "Wow, I killed all of them, and now I'm gonna go crazy. <laughs> so I'm gonna drive into the desert. It's time for my exist- existential crisis, where I drive out into the wilderness and have a spiritual experience." So he starts climbing a hill and then gets hit with a rock, which always happens when they're fused with Mercer. Yeah. He's climbing a hill and then unseen people throw rocks at you. 
And so uh, he's like, am I Mercer? Yeah. And he's like, I'm permanently fused with Mercer. Yeah. By the way, right before this part in the book, it's discovered that like Mercer is a fake. Yeah. That he's not some spiritual entity, that he was like some actor who was hired and for just a role. filmed this footage. Yeah. Yeah. And that the guys who revealed it were androids, like secret androids. It's so confusing. It is. I don't get this at all, Adina. No, I don't either. Please help me. Um, so I think the point that they're trying to make is that, so androids can't fuse with the empathy box. Yeah. Um, and so it's implied that androids don't have empathy. Yeah. Um, and so it's a distinct, a distinguishing characteristic that only humans can follow Mercerism. So the androids that kind of uncover Mercerism as being like staged are like, I think, trying to tear down the barriers that separate robots and humans. Yeah. And be like, what's well, a fake? So is this really an actual distinction between humans and androids? Um, and I think it's interesting, except they show throughout the book that the androids don't have empathy. Like there's a scene where they're, yeah. they're like pulling a spider's legs off of it one by one while Isidore watches. And he's clearly like upset about it because an like animals are so sacred and he was so excited to find a spider and here they are torturing it. So it, the book implies that androids don't have empathy. Yeah. So I don't really get the trying to break down mercerism. Yeah. I, I, yeah. And also, uh, Deckard still being connected to Mercer. I read something about like, you know, it's supposed to be that, the belief in something is sometimes stronger. Yeah, than the actual. Yeah, than the actual thing itself. But these are just kind of a lot of themes that are just kind of thrown into a bag and just explored. like shaken around and like <laughs> seeing some, what lands. Yeah, some yeah. kind of stick to each other, others don't. Yeah, and it's just kind of a jumble of like you can make connections. Um, some of them seem intentional. Some of them seem abstract and unnecessary. Yeah. It's just kind of a lot of things that just feel all pushed together. I would have liked to see less things more deeply explored. Yeah. Yeah. I, absolutely. I, you know, the whole idea of, uh, I, I, someone was talking about in an article about Black Mirror yeah. being influenced heavily by Philip K. Dick, mm -hmm. uh, and his like worlds and stuff and things like, uh, the Mercer or the empathy box and Mercerism, like yeah. a future where that is like it's interesting. Let's talk it about it. Yeah. yeah, or just the androids in general, you mm -hmm. know, and like are they human? What do we use to distinguish humans from not humans? And even like the animal thing can be interesting on its own. Yeah. Uh, but overall, it's just kind of a lot too much. A lot of loose threads. A really short novel. Yeah. And kind of just leaves it very abstract and open-ended, mm -hmm. kind of prompting the reader to make connections, which, I mean, is the case for a lot of stories, but it doesn't feel like they were intentionally really laid out well. Yeah, I so, agree. Uh, there are definite themes, you know, we, I think we both read about Philip K. Dick a little bit. Uh, he was very, first of all, drugs. So yeah. that's super obvious. Amphetamines. Amphetamines. <laughs> yeah. Uh, especially there was one part in this story describing Mercerism. Yeah. And his descent into the tomb world. Yeah. And like the history of on his 16th year, they told him he couldn't bring back life. And yeah. then he was in the tomb world. And then 
Real weird. I was reading. I'm like, this is a fucking trip, it like a, a literal trip. drug yeah. trip. It's so weird. Um, but um, Philip K. Dick was also very paranoid. Yes, that's maybe the other because thing. of the drugs. Maybe just naturally, um, or he could have had, you know, mental illness. Probably did have mental illness. Yeah. Um, but was just very worried about reality not being like what we think it is, and kind yeah. of caught up in the idea. That we can't prove that we really exist and like all of that nonsense, but also paranoid on a more uh, literal sense where he thought people were spying on him, that the government was after him. So definitely, I'm guessing either drug influenced or um, undiagnosed mental illness. Yeah. And and so with the whole, you know, who's an android, who isn't that kind of paranoia, maybe even the confusing timeline is meant to heighten the uncertainty and paranoia elements too yeah it's hard to say uh it might have just not been executed it's best it might have just been lazy it's hard you know yeah but um clearly a definite theme and thread throughout the book that paranoia element so Mm -hmm. um yeah so rick uh goes on this crazy yeah he gets hit with a rock freaks out finds a toad Brings the toad back home. He's yeah. like, it's a toad. I found it. They're it's extinct. Alive. But I found one and it's great. And the wife is like, oh, he, uh, it's fake. There's batteries in it. Yeah. And then he's like, oh, no. I guess I'm going to go to bed. Now. And she's like, go to bed, honey. <laughs> You've killed so many people today. <laughs> I'm you so proud it. of you. <laughs> he's like, do you like my toad? And he just is insane now and goes to bed. Yeah. Thus concluding his wild and wacky day. Yep. Uh, so that's. Basically, how the book yeah wraps up ends. Mm-hmm. Basically, it yeah. You know, <laughs> <laughs> let's uh let's go back to the movie. Yeah. Uh. So where we left off last with the movie is Rachel and Rick had very problematic sex. Mm-hmm. Um. Roy gouged out the eyes of Tyrell. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and now Rick is going to hunt Roy. Yeah. And Pris. So they're the last two androids left, and he leaves. Rachel's sleeping in his apartment. Yeah. So he shows up to the apartment that they're staying at, kind mm-hmm. of similar to the book, and enters the apartment where he is first encountered by Pris. Yeah. I just want to mention real briefly Pris's yeah. overall vibe. <laughs> She's just like, I am like a psychotic circus performer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm she, kind of into it. She has puts like raccoon eyes, yeah. or like a bandit mask <laughs> around her eyes, like with paint. Yeah. And then powders her face white. So she looks like she's nuts. She, her hair is like poofed out like crazy. And then she has this like leotard on <laughs> and is like doing like cartwheels and backflips. And then when she like attacks Rick, she does like a... <laughs> She does like a video game character type of like action sequence where you're like, oh, if I do like X plus Z left left, she does like a triple backflip and like kicks him in the face. Yeah. And then like (laughs) squeezes his head between her thighs. Yeah. So Harrison Ford's face is just in her crotch. (laughs) And this was the part that cracked me up because she fucking has him. Yeah. You know, and then er- earlier in the story, when they found out, when Roy and Pris found out everyone else was dead, yeah. Roy was like, it's fine, honey. Like, as long as we're smart, like, we'll be fine and yeah. he can't kill us. Yeah. We just have to keep our wits about us and be smart. Mm-hmm. So, 
cut to <laughs> Pris has Harrison Ford between her robot thighs yeah. and is about to crush his head. Then she lets him go. Yeah. Decides to take a big, like, running start back Running up. start in the opposite direction so she can do another one of her backflip moves. Giving Rick just enough time to get his gun and just shoot her. <laughs> yeah, it's real dumb. I was like, why is she doing this, like, circus performance of an attack on him? I don't know. <laughs> but I'm like... Way to keep your wits about you and make smart but she, decisions. she, like, violently convulses while dying. It's oh, very yeah. disturbing. It is. He's like, shoot her a few times. Yeah. Ugh. It's dark. Yeah. So then Roy shows up mm-hmm. uh, in his cool coat and is like, oh, no, Pris is dead. Time uh, to go fucking nuts. Time to go crazy. Yeah. So he starts off. This whole scene is very interesting. Yeah. And I kind of really like it in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. So it kind of reminded me of the movie Split. Oh, yeah. A little bit. Uh, So maybe you didn't like it. Yeah. I have like (laughs) negative associations with that movie, Mm. but like it's very unsettling. It's kind of about this person becoming absolutely unhinged and just extremely focused on killing one person. And I have so many dreams like this like i was gonna say it's like a this dream. is a problem that i have like when i have scary dreams there always are me running and hiding mm-hmm. and someone is chasing me and hunting me not just chasing you yeah. know and so you're like hiding but then you're running it's just like it's horrifying and it's done very well in this movie it is yeah so essentially roy's like i know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna strip down to my underwear and just howl like a wolf yeah and i i kind of disagree with you saying that like it's about him trying to like kill yeah like Deckard because really he's just fucking with him a lot. That's true. Yeah. And he you know like the howling for example and mm-hmm. the chase and he's kind of like I'm gonna give you a head start. Yeah. And like at one point he has him and he just breaks his fingers yeah. and lets him go. Mm-hmm. So toying with him. Yeah for sure. And Deckard is just like really thrown off. Like at one point he's trying to climb up I forget, like a fireplace or a bookshelf, and he drops his gun. Mm -hmm. So he just has to keep going. Yeah. And there's just multiple times when Roy could kill him in an instant and just kind of like keeps like letting him climb up this like whole building. Yeah. Yeah. That's what's most dreamlike about it to me is that how kind of weird that is that he just keeps scaling the building. Uh, So essentially, Deckard gets to the roof. And then to try to escape, Roy attempts to jump to another roof, doesn't quite make it. Mm -hmm. But then Roy jumps over and it seems like, oh, he's going to let him die. He's going to kill him and then saves him. Yeah. Uh, So it's, you know, he he pulls him up. Roy saves him. Roy saves him, pulls him up onto the roof. And then they just kind of sit there. Yeah. And we get one of the best movie monologues, I think, Mm -hmm. ever. About what these eyes have seen. Mm-hmm. But just kind of explaining his views and like what he's seen the and experienced. Yeah. And then he ad libs in in real life, that actor ad libbed the best line where he's like, All these moments will be lost like tears and rain. Yeah. Which is so <gasps> sad and beautiful. And then he says it's time to die. Mm-hmm. And then he dies. And then he totally dies. Yeah. And then he releases a dove. <laughs> yeah, a dove that he's just like weirdly <laughs> holding. holding yeah. Like he's been holding for like this whole time. And it's weird because he's holding it like real low. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like it's a, like an ice cream cone or yeah. something. Uh yeah, but it's this very I don't know, it's a very beautiful 
sad moment. It is. That's kind of, not that the movie hasn't been thoughtful to this point, but. It's a very touching moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. More so than I think what most people would expect having watched to this point. Yeah. And from a character that's supposed to be the antagonist. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. So. Yeah. So Rick is kind of like, oh my God. And then goes back to his apartment and Rachel's there. And then he's basically like, let's go. Let's just get out of here. Like, let's, you know, do you love me? Do you trust me? Let's leave. And they do. Um, And as they're leaving, he finds a tiny unicorn origami figurine. Mm hmm. In the hallway. As we all know, means he's obviously a replicant. Yeah, it casts some doubt onto the fact that Rick may or may not be a human. Essentially, the argument is there's a scene earlier, and this is only in, this is one of the scenes that was cut from the theatrical version. Yeah. But is in the director and final cut, a scene of a unicorn that he's kind of either dreaming or just thinking about at one point. Yeah. And so him finding the unicorn implies that Either those were false memories or false, like, a dream that they were aware of. Yeah. Uh, And so just kind of confirming, like, hey, you know, you're a replicant. Like, we know what's going on. Yeah. Um, Eh. Yeah. I'm not sure that's super clear. I don't think so either. Yeah, it might be, like, that's... I mean, I think the director said that that's what it is. <laughs> yeah. But also, I don't I don't know if it's exactly obvious when you just watch a movie without that in mind. Yeah. Um. So the the final scene in the movie in the theatrical version, which is not in the dir- director's and final cut, is of <laughs> just like Rick and Rachel like driving in the car together and just being like, well, we're happy now. And Rachel was supposed to die because they only... Android's only lived for four years, but she didn't die. Guess we're just lucky. Yeah, he's like, Tyrell told me that she was special and yeah. she won't die ever and we're going to bang forever. Yeah, and that's how it ends. But like, that's not how the, the final cut ends. It just ends with the elevator closing and with that little figurine. Yeah, which is a better, preferable better ending. ending. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So wow. those, are, those are the two versions. Yeah. What, um, what, what, uh, what, 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 what's better? What, 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 what do you, what are you feeling? What do you um, want? So there are really, like we discussed, there are really interesting themes in the book, but I don't think that they're well discussed or executed. Um, and so much of the book was confusing. So I'm going to have to go with the movie. I'm also going with the movie. The movie is confusing in other ways. It is. Um, but I was a lot less confused than reading the book. It's a much more straightforward narrative in the movie. So if you kind of don't, if you kind of miss something, it's like not as, uh, it's not as big of a deal. Yeah. Because you'll kind of catch up again. You'll be like, oh, okay, I'm following again. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. And and to be honest, I love the visuals of Blade Runner, the movie. Yeah. And. um, It's so iconic in a lot of ways. I I also really love Detective Noir stories. Yeah. But this is kind of a little more boring on that end of it. I love Detective Noir stories because they're they're almost like hangout movies where yeah. a character just goes to interesting places and interesting people and to kind of sees like, what happens. Yeah, and kind of like has kind of all these just interesting encounters. Yeah. And this movie kind of doesn't 
really do that. No, all the encounters he has are kind of like boring or not like super interesting. Or so. filled with death. Or, or yeah, yeah, precisely. <laughs> so, you know, as a detective noir story, I didn't enjoy it in that, in that level quite as much yeah. as I wish I did. But um, everything else about it, though, minus the controversial sex scene. Yeah. Uh, is is very well done and pretty good. It is. Yeah. Um, so chances are you've already seen Blade Runner. But if you hadn't, uh, definitely give it a shot. Um, I would very caution. I would cautiously. Cautionously recommend <laughs> do Android stream of electric sheep. Uh, only if you're really into that sort of thing, I think. Yeah. If, if you're a big sci-fi person or a Philip K. Dick fan, I feel like if you are a Philip K. Dick fan, you've probably, you probably already read, read it. it. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah. If, if you're a Blade Runner fan only, I'm not sure you're going to get, much out of this no other than not weird religious allegories and other <laughs> stuff so yeah so, i'm gonna have to go with movies we've said movie i know a lot lately a lot lately yeah what's wrong with us i don't know but it's just <laughs> where my heart is taking me at the yeah moment i guess that's where we are right now in our lives mm-hmm. so movie movie lightning round lightning round so first up for lightning round uh, there's this in the book, there's this TV show and the host is called Buster Friendly and everyone watches this show. Everybody on earth watches it and everyone on the colonies watches it too. It's like the only show to watch. It's also. like the only thing that's on TV. It's just a talk show. Yeah, essentially. <laughs> and he's just an entertainer guy. And at the end of the book, it's revealed that Buster Friendly is an android. And it's like shocking. Everyone's yeah. like, oh my God, he's an android. And he's one of the ones that tries to discredit Mercerism. But you're like, of course he's an android. Because they literally say earlier in the book that he does his TV show for 23 hours. <laughs> they take a one hour break. And then they start the TV show back up again. Like seven days a week. And you're like. 23 hours. Why is this shocking that he's an android? Like he, obviously he's an android. He's essentially a mechanical performer at a Chuck E. Cheese. Yeah. Like of course. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> yeah. I also thought that was funny. Um, so we all agree Blade Runner is a better name. Yes. Than. Uh, do Androids. Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep. Um, <laughs> D-A-D. O E S. <laughs> um, but the term Blade Runner actually was so um it seems kind of random, right? Yeah, yeah. Like Blade Runner, like what where does that, that come from? So essentially Ridley Scott, uh another screenplay was written called Blade Runner, uh based off I think a a story, uh yeah, a novella. And there's a screenplay written and it was called Blade Runner. And so Ridley Scott bought the title rights of Blade Runner, but not the screenplay rights or the adaptation rights, just so he could, could steal it, steal it. And like apparently in the <laughs> the adaptation or the original Blade Runner, uh, it is defined as a person who sells illegal surgical instruments. <laughs> <laughs> so literally like a rum runner, but. For surgical blades. <laughs> but for like <laughs> nice, high quality surgical equipment. Makes so sense. Makes that sense. Is, that is the origin of the title Blade Runner. Oh Ridley God. Scott was just like, I like it. Buy me the rights. Forget the actual story. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. Next thing for lightning round. In the book, 
after Rick and Rachel sleep together in the hotel and she's like, I love you. Just kidding. I sleep with lots of bounty hunters. She makes this comment like, cause he bought a goat with some of his bounty money. And he's like, yes, I have a real goat now. Um, and he's excited about it. His wife is excited about it. And then Rachel's like, you love that goat more than you love me. And it's like, obviously, because <laughs> you just said that you like were manipulating him. Like, what's yeah. wrong with you? And then after Rick kills all the androids and he comes back home, his wife is like, oh, my God, this crazy woman in this like fancy dress just <laughs> jumped onto our roof and <laughs> pushed the goat off of the roof, <laughs> like just kicked it off the roof. And, and now it's dead. <laughs> So Rachel just drove over to Rick's house, picked up his goat in front of everyone, in front of everyone, and just threw it off the roof <laughs> while his wife watched. Like and then, for no reason, and then left. Yeah, and then Rick, hearing this story, just had to be like, "So weird, huh? I didn't just sleep with her. That's in a weird. Room. I don't know why this random person did that. Oh my god, I that was." So funny, just a picture. Rachel takes so many emotional turns. Yeah, it's very confusing. Like, she's kind of like strong-willed and tough at the beginning. Yeah. Then she shows up and she's like, fuck me. Yeah. And then she's like, I love you. Then she's like, JK, this is my job, bitch. And then then she's like, I'm going to kill your goat. (laughs) I'm going to kill your goat. (laughs) She just goes all over the place. Yeah, yeah. Uh, This last thing is just kind of an interesting. So there's actually a whole documentary called i think dangerous days the making of blade runner wow because it was such a shit show filming it (laughs) uh but the woman who plays pris when she is introduced outside of uh what's his name's apartment yeah who she sebastian sebastian's apartment she fakes like being afraid and running away from him Uh and then kind of skids to a halt and puts her whole arm through the window of a car like kind of just like Slipping, yeah, trying to stop herself. And then she kind of like tentatively comes back and he's like, hey, what's going on? And then they have this scene together. Yeah. So that wasn't breakaway glass and that wasn't meant to happen. She just skidded on like the wet pavement and accidentally put her arm through this non-breakaway glass. Oh, my God. And chipped her elbow in eight places. Oh, my God. And then carried on with the scene oh my god like a fucking badass wow that's amazing (laughs) (laughs) so just a little interesting tidbit behind the scenes to the fiasco i would love to watch the the documentary sometime because it was just between ridley scott and the production and harrison ford Mm -hmm. actually i don't think harrison ford did anything bad but just like (laughs) did not want to deal with it yeah uh i would love to know more about the making of this movie yeah Mm mm-hmm So that concludes our episode. It does. If you're interested in hearing us talk more about Blade Runner, um, for our patrons, we're going to do our special bonus podcasts that we always do for our patrons um, on Blade Runner 2049. The sequel. Yeah. So there's certainly plenty to discuss, I think, to this almost three hour film. (laughs) So patrons, look out for that episode that should be coming your Mm -hmm. way soon. And then if you'd like to become a patron, you can check us out on Patreon. I'd also like to mention that on uh, for any level of patron, you get to listen to our bonus podcast. But fun fact, the more money you pledge to us, the more you actually enjoy the bonus content. It helps. It's it's like proven (laughs) fact that like the more money you spend on something, the more you enjoy it. Yes. Right. So If you really want to like it, you know, give us 
plenty per month and then you'll <laughs> enjoy the bonus way more you can follow us on twitter at cover to credits with the number two you can email at us email at us right at us <laughs> email us at cover to credits pod at gmail.com and we're on Facebook and Instagram as well. If you'd like to help us out um, by not contributing money, you can give us a review on iTunes. Yeah. A star rating. Um, it's awesome. Yeah, and we've been getting a lot of those, and it's it's great. Yeah, so we really appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. You guys are amazing. And we'll see you next time when yep. we discuss... Emma. Emma, the Jane Austen novel, and its contemporary modern adaptation... Clueless. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, look forward to that and we'll see you next time. See you next time. Bye. Bye.